0: Hi, I'm Linda Calabresi. I'm a GP and the medical editor of HealthEd. Welcome to our unique podcast series now available direct to your device. The series features some of Australia's leading clinical experts talking on topics that are both practical and important to Australian GPs. Uh, hello everyone, I'm Deborah Bateson, uh, formerly Medical Director at Family Planning New South Wales and now Professor of Practice at the Faculty of Medicine and Health at the University of Sydney and I'm going to be talking about combined hormonal contraceptive pills and this is a practice based very practical update for us all. Uh, this is my declaration of interest. I've attended advisory boards and provided clinical education for Bayer, Organon, Bezins Healthcare and Maine Pharma as part of my roles. So what are we going to cover? We're going to look at combined pill options, including a new, what we call E4, Estratol. It's a new oestrogen option that's available now. Uh, We'll look at the practicalities, starting, switching, what about missed pills, how to explain them, drug interactions. And we'll look at combined pill use across the reproductive life course for adolescents, postpartum and post-abortion, as well as for people over 40. Uh, And we'll also look at combined pills for specific groups. Those with acne, for instance, or mood changes. What about heavy menstrual bleeding and looking at options for overweight and obesity? Is the combined pill appropriate or not? So this is just to bring us all, ground us all with, you know, what are combined pills? where they are combining an oestrogen with a progesterone? And the we were all familiar. The one that's been around the longest, the pills we're very familiar with, contain ethanol estradiol And that's combined with a variety of progestogens The earliest progestogens were levonorgestrel and norethistrone. So we're all familiar with these pills. They're the PBS listed pills. And they're often our go-to. I mean, not only are they, you know, cost-effective and cheap, uh, they're really our gold standard when it comes to effectiveness so I mean, all the pills on the market are, have similar effectiveness but also gold standard when it comes to that VTE risk which is one of the key considerations when it comes to combined pills. Ethinyl estradiol can also be com- combined with desogestrel or gestadine. We don't use these so much now. They're the Marvelon and Mignolet pills. Also with cyproterone, that's the anti-androgen pill and we'll have a think about that. The Diane, you know, there's many different trade names of course. We're all familiar with those. And it can also be combined with drospirenone, either in Yaz or Yasmin. We've also got pills now where we're replacing or substituting the ethanol estradiol with estradiol. So that's a bioidentical bioident- uh, hormone to the estradiol that's produced in the body. Sometimes it's with the prodrug estradiol valerate. So that's combined either with Dienogest in Clara or it's combined with uh, the nomogestrel nom- uh, acetate, Nomac, uh, and that's in the pill Azoli. But what we have now is these this new oestrogen, Estratol, which is E4, uh, and we'll hear a little bit more about that, and that's also combined with drospironone. So, pills have evolved over you know over the decades actually and the idea is that we've been reducing the risks minimizing the side effects and, and those you know troublesome side effects and increasing what we call non contraceptive benefits so this is we want as many pills pill options as possible really for people who want to use a pill and then you know supporting them in finding one that suits their particular needs so we've seen the reduction in hormonal doses we've seen the substitution as I've mentioned of ethanol estradiol with e2 and now with e4 we've seen et- estrogens combined with newer progestogens with profiles and we've seen the reduction or even the deletion of hormone, of the hormone free interval. We know that when the pill was first developed it, there was a seven-day uh, pill gap, now most of the new pills have a, a smaller gap of four days and we know of course that it's safe uh, to actually skip those hormone free breaks altogether uh, and that's because we can delete that, uh, that uh, fake period, that withdrawal bleed, there's no physiological basis or we'll need to have that break so again it's giving people those choices when you're explaining how to use the pill. So let's have a look at this new choice with E4. So there is a new pill on our market now and it is available and you may, you know, have heard about it already called Nextelis. So what is it? Well, it's 14.2 milligrams of E4 with three milligrams of drospironone. Drospironone, this was found to be the most suitable progesterone to combine in terms of favourable effects. It's got anti corticoid activity, as you know, and this is in a 24-4 regime. So 24 hormone pills and four non-hormone pills. So, what about E4? What's, you know, what is it about it? Well, it's a synthetically manufactured hormone which is naturally produced in the human fetal liver. It's made in you know, laboratories, of course. And the theoretical aim of it is to lower the VTE, venous thromboembolism risk, and to optimize bleeding. So, we do know from the lab laboratory studies that it has, a, compared to, to ethanol estradiol, it's got a limited impact on the metabolic profile, on the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, on carbohydrate metabolism, on triglycerides, and on sex hormone binding globulins as well as on hemostatic factors and it has a weak affinity to breast tissue and actually limited impact as well on uh, on the liver but one thing we do have to say is that we don't have that real-world data Uh, you know that's the same for the E2 the estradiol pills Um, you know we need to have that real-world data we don't have that for E4 these E4 pills yet Um, so at this moment the, the contraindications are the same as for other combined pills in other words if a woman can if a person can use a combined pill, she can use an oestrogen-containing method, well that means that she's eligible for any of the oestrogen-containing methods. If she's ineligible, she's ineligible for all of them as well. There's no selective prescribing. Uh, it's very effective. it's sort of the same efficacy uh, as all the pills in our market. The pool Pearl index is 1.52, and its the acceptability profile uh, is, is, you know, it's well accepted, well tolerated by users in all the clinical trials. And of course, all new pills have to undergo very rigorous uh, large trials. They, they've got trials for this pill in both Europe, which includes Russia as well, as well as in um, the US and Canada. Now, most users had a predictable and regular bleeding pattern. Uh, one other feature of this pill, which I think is an interesting feature, is that E4 uh, in aquatic models um, has been shown to have a lesser impact uh, on the environment. So, again, through that, in that model situation, uh, we do know that ethanol-estradiol has a significant negative impact on marine life, and this can have long-lasting, long-lasting impacts on the environment. So, again, we need more real-life data, but, you know, this is in- encouraging. We want all our contraceptive to be green contraceptive, of course. One key thing, it's not PBS listed. So let's ask some common questions and most importantly, let's answer them around combined hormonal contraceptive pills. So combined pills, can you remind me? I need reminding myself. I have to say about Quick Start. So, what is it about Quick Start? Well, we know that traditionally, when we're starting advising someone to start a pill, traditionally it's starting on day one to five of the cycle, or at any time pregnancy can be excluded. But if it's started at day one to five of the cycle, it's immediately effective. But of course, we know that for some women, if they've got PCOS, for instance, it might be you know weeks before they get their next si- next period, or if they've just in their first week after the first after their menstrual cycle, they'd have to wait another three weeks to start. And in that time, of course. They can fall pregnant, so it makes good sense to offer what we call quick start. That's so an immediate start with a hormone pill, uh, not starting on a, an inactive, non-hormone pill. And at this time, it may be impossible if someone's had unprotected intercourse in the previous three weeks. You'll get a you know a negative, a negative pregnancy test. Um, so it may be impossible to exclude an early pregnancy, and. Of course, if we're going to do quick start, so in other words, that person comes in, maybe it's day 10 of their cycle, uh, she can start straight away, but she needs to know it's not going to be effective for another seven days, so to use condoms during that time, or abstinence of course, until the pill becomes effective. We do advise a pregnancy test four weeks later, regardless of any bleeding, you don't want to delay a diagnosis of an unintended pregnancy, and means that the options, say, for having a medical abortion, if that's the choice, uh, aren't there, so that's important. If someone's taken an emergency contraceptive pill, uh, then we generally would advise uh, you know using a, a LNG ECP if someone's missed a pill and we'll explain that later uh, but the key thing is there's two options of emergency contraceptive pills there's the levonorgestrel emergency contraceptive pill and the ulipristal acetate pill that's the, the LA1. Now if someone takes a um, I live in the gestural ECP then, and they can start the pill straight away and it's immediately that uh, they can start you know, with no gap. But if they take UPA then in fact a gap of five days is ad, um, advised before start, starting the pill and that's because uh, that progesterone, UPA is an anti-progesterone and the progesterone or progesterone in the pill could have a negative effect and reduce the effect of the um, emergency contraceptive so just be aware of that. One thing to just remind us as well is to always prescribe a 12-month supply. I think we've all got used to sometimes, you know, we we know that we often get people to come back after the first three months or four months just to check how they're going and sometimes we just give one, you know, just that script so they've only got that that short supply and then of course they don't come back and they run out of pills and can have an unintended pregnancy so at least give people that prescription for the 12-month supply. So another common question of course is how do I explain the missed pill rules and which are the riskiest pills in the pack to miss? So let's have a look. Now this is an excellent diagram. I hope it's not too fuzzy on your screens. And this is actually from Shine SA, thank you very much. Um, so it's all about how late is the pill. So is the pill more than 24 hours late? In other words, is it more than 48 hours since the last pill was taken? If the answer to that is no, what you advise is take the pill straight away, and it may mean taking two pills in one day, um, the pill's going to continue to work. So that's just a, a late pill, it's not a missed pill. But if the answer is yes, it's more than 48 Eight hours since the last pill was taken, that is a missed pill. And again, the advice take it straight away. you know, just as as soon as you can. And again, it may mean taking two pills in one day and discard any other missed pills. And use condoms as well for the next seven days. It's a bit conservative across the pill pack, as we'll see. Um, Continue active pills as usual. And if you're within seven days of the next hormone-free break, so in other words, you're in the last seven tablets before the break, skip the inactive pills and continue active pills. Now, in addition to continuing uh, with your usual pill, you need to consider whether you need emergency contraception. And again, we generally, with missed pills, advise leaving the gestural emergency contraception. And you would advise that if you have taken fewer than seven active pills since the last hormone-free break and you've had unprotected sexual intercourse in the past five days. So that comes to answer the question of which are the riskiest pills to miss. It's the pills in those first seven days because there's just been a break. Means that that person could be just on the edge of ovulating uh, and, in fact, if a pill is missed- then uh, then there is that risk. So those are the riskiest pills to miss. Now what about combined pills and young people? A 13 year old, can I prescribe the pill to my 13 year old patient? So this is Anna. She presents with her friend, Sue Lynn. after using the emergency contraceptive pill twice in this month. Uh, she requests the pill. She hasn't told her parents. She's in a relationship. What do we do? Well, of course, we have to do what we all do, always do with 13-year-olds who present at this young age. We do do a HEADS assessment, and I'm sure you're all familiar. It's asking about the home, even though she hasn't told her parents. She's actually got a good relationship with her parents. She has told an older sister. Uh, we're asking about education or employment, whatever's appropriate. Uh, we're asking about activities asking about drugs and alcohol, and then the S's. So we keep adding on extra S's, actually, so suicidality, uh, sex and safety. We determine any child protection issues. We do need to ask how old uh, is and as partner. Is it someone within a similar age? Uh, Is it someone who's 18? Is it someone who's 20? Is it someone in a position of power? Uh, Because that's going to affect whether you're reporting, because we are mandatory child uh, protection reporters. So there's always two strands, I always think, with adolescents. You're thinking about uh, child protection, issues and then you're also thinking uh, about that capacity to consent and you know we do use the Gillick competency assessment of course can she understand the pros and cons of using a method of contraception what the alternatives are and in my book I have to say anyone who comes in asking for contraception that is a very responsible thing to do and there's no way I'm going to say no I'm not giving it to you so uh, you know that, that's you know in itself is is demonstrating that competency and we discuss all the options including LARC and assess medical eligibility often People don't know about family history for, for instance but you know there's very few uh, young people who wouldn't be able to use a combined pill but there will be some. Condoms of course always advise about safe sex and we would also offer a self-collected uh, t- um, test as well uh, for anyone who's sexually active under 29 that we do you know offer that um, Chlamydia and add on gonorrhea now we're seeing it increasingly in young heterosexual women. So the answer to this is, yes, you can prescribe. And again, just remember, always prescribe that 12-month supply. So what about choices for adolescents? So, first of all, around acne, we know it's common in this age group. All pills are, combined pills are effective, and that's because the oestrogen increases sex hormone binding globulin and mops up free testosterone. But then the effect of the progesterone can actually also be beneficial for acne as well. So pills with anti-androgenic progesterones, that's the cyproterone, the drosporinone, or the dienogest, or the less androgenic progesterones, desigestral, gestodene or the norethisterone, can also offer benefits, but there isn't any evidence of superior, superior superiority over one pill or another. And it is just a, a, a reminder that the cyproton acetate pills, it is an antiandrogen. Uh, it is very effective, especially for severe acne, uh, you know, cystic acne. Just remember the licensing. It is licensed for the management of severe acne and hirsutism. And it's only actually only in these patients that it can be used for contraception. It's not licensed as a contraceptive on its own. So I do think it's overutilized. Uh, we do know that um, the pills which have these are anti-androgenic may have that slightly increased risk of VTE. So generally the rule of thumb is, you know, use cyproterone while someone's got that symptomatic acne and then, you know, you can switch to another, uh, another pill. Uh, which also may have anti-androgenic or lesser androgenic activity as well. Now, what about mood? There's been quite a little bit, actually, I saw it in the news today. Um, you know, we do know, you know, it's a really important area to explore. We must ask about mood and we must ensure that people know and young people know that if they have a change in their mood temporarily associated with starting the pill, they must come back and see us if that's what they're choosing. We do know from the big Danish study, population study, there's an association between a first antidepressant script and hormonal contraception. Uh, no evidence, of course, but this was particularly pronounced for adolescents. Um, but, you know, they can't say, look, this, this causes this. Uh, but there is also emerging evidence of the effects of oestrogen and, in particular, of progesterone. So, in fact, oestrogen may, may be neuroprotective, whereas progesterone uh, may not be, in fact, have a, a, a negative effect uh, when it comes to brain function. So, you know, there, there is this emerging evidence. There are some small trials. Um, Jesse Kulkani has uh, written about it in recently in Australian prescriber around no magistral acetate. So that's the you know the, the progesterone that's in Zoli, uh, and possibly around the, the non-estinyl estradiol estrogens, in other words, es, uh, estradiol and astra, estradiol valerate. We don't have any data, of course, on E4 yet. Uh, but whether these may be preferable pills, we don't have firm data. But it's just something to be aware of. And substance abuse. Here we here we have uh, our patient here who's vaping, as you know, many patients are, uh, and. Uh, Look, we don't have enough evidence, but what we do say now is that anyone who's vaping with nicotine uh, is, you know, query, is that equivalent to cigarette smoking? Well, we are saying treat it in the same, in the same way, and we, what that means is really anyone from 35, so that's when it kicks in in terms of the MEC. Um, so not affecting adolescents, there may be other reasons to, to advise not vaping, of course. Uh, it's not a deterrent to using uh, the co- combined pill, but just, you know, think about it particularly for, for patients over 35. Uh, don't forget the apps, everyone uses an app of course. Hey there, are you t- f- taking your pill yet? They're very good reminders, for, not just for young people, for all ages as well. And just remember, obviously, cost um, you know, can be an issue, and so don't set someone up on an expensive, non-PBS-listed pill if they're not going to be able to, even if you've got a sample, be able to continue it uh, in the long term. So, how soon can combined pills be started after a delivery? This is a common question, and the guidance has changed over the last few years. So let's have a look at this the choice in the first 6 weeks is actually limited by two things first of all by the increased venous thromboembolism risk particularly particularly high in those first 3 weeks after delivery and by breastfeeding and so, although contraception isn't required in the first 21 days, immediate postpartum contraception does negate that need to return for a clinic visit. I know it could happen by telehealth, uh, but it does reduce that rapid repeat pregnancy. There's a really global look at how we can have this immediate postpartum contraception. But there are some, you know, some uh, limitations when that comes to the combined pill. as we'll see. So combined pills can generally be started by almost everyone from six weeks post post delivery. Uh, it's actually a mec two up to six months, and then it's mec one. Obviously, there may be other factors that influence that choice and the reason for this there's no evidence that there's an impact on either milk quality uh, from six weeks there's some evidence in the earlier weeks than that and or on, on quantity uh, and no evidence for an impact on neonatal group growth so it is MEK2 and you may be unaware of that so if people do want to breastfeed and use the pill then from six um, from six weeks and that is MEK2. If they're not breastfeeding, then it's MEK3 in these particular um, situations, so if it's zero to three weeks, and generally this means... So MEK2 is where the advantages outweigh the disadvantages, so, free, you know, fine to use. MEK3 is flicked the other way around. That's where the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. So you'd have to have a really good reason to, to use them where well, there's plenty of other uh, forms of contraception, so implants, progesterone only pills, for instance, which are very useful uh, in in this postpartum period. So when it comes to, it comes to the pill, you know, really, you wouldn't be using it um, really up to week six. So week zero to three, if there's no additional VTU risk factors, uh, then it's a MEK3. Three. Weeks three to six with additional risk factors is still a MEK3. That's if someone's had a c-section or, or postpartum hemorrhage. Um, so really, you know, just coming back to that general rule from six weeks, most people could actually use a combined pill if that was their choice. So what about our next question? How do I explain the risk of blood clots to my patients? It's certainly something a lot of our patients are aware of after, you know, various television reports and various pill scares. So it's good to have some simple language. So first of all, the combined pill increases the risk of venous blood clots around two to six fold over baseline. And the key thing, of course, is that the baseline risk for most people of reproductive age is very low at around two per 10,000 females uh, in a year. Um, And it's important, of course, what we're doing as prescribers is ensuring that we're prescribing safely. We're not prescribing for people who have a higher than baseline risk of, um, of VTE. And we'll look at those criteria in a minute just remember as well that the risk is, it's a small risk, but it's highest, a small increase rather, it's highest in the first year of use, the new user effect. And so it is important because I know sometimes, you know, patients will say, oh look, I just feel like a bit of a pill holiday, I need a break, give my body a break, uh, and then I'll restart it again a bit later. But what perhaps they don't realise is that potentially then gives them that new user effect and may just you know have that slightly increased risk again Uh, it's as if you're going back to the first year of use. So pill holiday is not a good idea also can have you know an unintended pregnancy. Um, we know from the data that the ethanol estradiol, uh, there, there is a dose-related association with VTE risk, so uh, you know, none of us should be using the 50 microgram pills. Uh, gone, gone. Uh, but we do have the pill doses of ethanol estradiol going down from 35 to 30, and the lowest dose pills are 20 micrograms. And there is some safety benefit been shown in a big French trial for the 20 microgram pills. But of course you're weighing that up because the 20 microgram pills, uh, you're more likely to have have breast breakthrough bleeding and that of course can lead to early discontinuation of a pill and potentially an unintended pregnancy so you're balancing those all out so really as long as you're you know sticking within that 35 microgram ethanol estradiol limit that's important now I've mentioned before we've got these newer estrogens now we've got estradiol uh, and in fact we do have some evidence now around um, the, the nomac pill uh, the pill with um, which is called Zoli of course with estradiol uh, and uh, nomad gestural acetate um, that in fact uh, in the big trials it hasn't shown to be inferior uh, when it comes to VTE and blood clots um, to the gold standard which is the a, leave- a gestural pill so that's very reassuring it perhaps was hoped that it was going to be superior and have a safety benefit uh, and you know that hasn't been shown but you know know, you can obviously say these are these are safe pills now the E4 I mentioned before it has some potential safety benefits as well Uh, big trials showing that it's very safe but we can't say that it's any safer than the uh, than the ethanol estradiol pills so again it comes back to that basic premise that if someone is eligible for a pill an estrogen containing method that can include the vaginal ring then they're eligible for any uh, of the estrogen containing pills if they're ineligible they're ineligible for all of the oestrogen-containing methods. There's no selective prescribing. And just a reminder that the pills with cyproterone acetate, desigestral, drosperidone, and the uh, gestadine may have a slightly higher risk. Uh, as mentioned before, it may be to do with the impact on sex hormone binding globulin than those with the levonorgestrel and norethisterone, which do remain the gold standard pills. Now, let's have a look at the categories. Um, when it comes to mec 4 that's an absolute contraindication. These are people with an elevated... Um, Background risk: Who can't use any method containing oestrogen? They've got a current or a past VTE history. They've got a known thrombogenic mutation. They've got a condition with anti-positive anti-phospholipid antibodies, or they've had ma- major surgery or prolonged immobilisation. All that between nought to three weeks postpartum with those additional risk factors that we've mentioned. What about the mex three? That's where you need, you know, the, the risks outweigh the benefits. Uh, you've got to have a really good reason to prescribe, and generally, you need that expert judgment. So choose something else. These are for people with a BMI over 35, someone with a first-degree relative with a VTE less than 45, uh, regardless of thumbophilia screening results. And this is provoked or unprovoked. So if you've got your patient who has a sister who, you know, broke a leg skiing when she was, let's say, 27, um, got a, you know, a, a VTE uh, which you would associate with the skiing. Uh, we know that, you know, that, that means that that family still has that elevated risk and we, can, we don't know all the, you know, all the mutations in fact. So you would, that puts, her, puts your patient into the MEK3 category uh, and I've talked about the postpartum uh, conditions previously. Now, my patient's having an abortion and wants to start the pill afterwards. What advice do we give in this situation? So Ellen's eight weeks pregnant. She's decided to have a medical abortion. Well, she can start the combined pill immediately. It's immediately effective if it's started on the day after mifipristone. Step one, or within the next five days. And I have to say, generally, we'd be advising it on the day after misoprostol because the misoprostol can be associated with that nausea or even vomiting, uh, pretty shabby day sometimes. So, you know, it can be useful to advise it um, the day after she's, she's taken that step two. For a surgical abortion, the combined pills immediately effective if started within day one to five of the procedure. Uh, but just remember for third trimester abortions, the mix is the same as for postpartum situation. If it's later than day five, after a surgical or the medical abortion, it's going to take seven days to become effective. Just to say with medical abortion, you know, the, the, the key thing is actually, not, we advise no intercourse for seven days after the medical abortion anyway to reduce the risk of infection. So it's just important to sort of stress that point. Now, what should I be considering when prescribing for patients over 40? So first of all, the risk of cardiovascular disease and the VTE does increase with age, and that can start to limit choice as well. Uh, Smoking, if someone's age 35 and over, it's either MEK3 or 4. It's a 4 if they smoke 15 or more a day. It's a MEK3 if they gave up within a year, or they're smoking less than 15. vaping falls into the same category. Uh, There's also an increased chance of conditions that would benefit from actually the combined pill, heavy menstrual bleeding or perimenopausal symptoms such as flushes or vaginal atrophy, as well as that prevention of of, of loss of bone density. But also, of course, people over 40, they also have reduced fertility. And that can mean that, you know, perhaps some of the less effective methods, such as a diaphragm, may be suitable for some people, but they have to accept that risk. And for some people, you know, that unintended pregnancy can be a very challenging at this stage of life. So it's helping people make that informed decision about what suits them best. And, of course... We haven't got any data to say any of the pills can be continued. The combined pills beyond 50. You can switch to a PO pill, uh, but we do advise switching to a PO or non-hormonal method at the age of 50, or in that 50th year. Now, an increasing number of my patients have obesity. Is a pill a suitable option? Well, planning pregnancy is important uh, for people with obesity, and that's because of increased maternal and neonatal risks. There's a lower fertility, but, we do know that the risk of unplanned pregnancy may be increased. Now there's a variety of reasons for this and we do know that women sometimes may be denied suitable options or may, there may be a misassumption that people are not sexually active. So we must be aware of our own biases. Um, there is an increased background risk of VTE and effects of oestrogen. Uh, the effects of oestrogen on VTE, myocardial infection and stroke does limit choice. Um, there can also be malabsorption after bariatric surgery. Uh, we'll have a look at the MEC for that but you know generally that may not, the pill may not be a suitable choice and certainly avoidance of pregnancy for 12 months, 12 months after surgery is really important. We need to uh, make sure there isn't an unintended pregnancy in this time so the pill not, as I say may not be the best choice. There can be potential access challenges if we think about IUDs you know is your clinic has it got a, a you know a bed or what about just the, the chairs that can actually you know prevent stigma and discrimination and actually it's a Uh, women with obesity coming into our clinics to access appropriate care. Uh, Also of course we need to ensure that we think about you know that risk of endometrial cancer and that reduction in the risk of endometrial cancer which occurs with a combined pill can be a benefit for this population in whom it's more prevalent but you've got to weigh that against the other risks as well of course. So let's have a look at the MEC categories. And this is just to remind us, of course, about the MEC categories. Well, if someone's got a BMI 30 to 34, it's a MEC 2. So the pill is a, is a useful choice if that's chosen. BMI of 35 though is a mec 3 and generally you're going to be thinking about other alternatives. And just remember those people for where you've got multiple cardiovascular risk factors, smoking, obesity, hypertension, dyslipidemias, mec 3 as well. So really you'd be choosing other options and luckily we've got lots of other options. And this is just the MEC post-bariatric surgery, but I did um, say before that malabsorption may limit this this choice for this particular, particular option. So on to another question. What advice do I give my patient who's starting carbamazepine, she's newly diagnosed with epilepsy, this is for Hana, and she's on the pill. In fact, she rather likes being on the pill. Um, So we know that there are certain drugs, of course, liver enzyme-inducing drugs, that decrease the effectiveness of hormonal contraceptives, so we have to think of an alternative approach. And this includes uh, someone like Fahana who's starting an anti-epileptic carbamazepine, some others, as you can see here, including tapiramate, and that's at any dose. We used to have a dose-related effect, uh, but but we've taken that away now. Also, of course, some of the antiretrovirals used to treat HIV. Now, in fact, most of the new antiretrovirals that are used here in Australia actually aren't liver enzyme inducers. But you do need to be sure. So do go either ask your specialist who's providing that treatment. You may be doing that yourself, but do check with the Liverpool University fantastic online uh, drug interactive calculator. It's it's a wonderful resource. Um, the only antibiotics that interfere with um, contraception are rifampicin and rifabutin. They're really strong liver enzyme inducers. In fact, so you. Really, be switching to another method of contraception, but none of the commonal garden or the you know the other. Um antibiotics that we uh, we use it's still in the product information and in a lot of them of course and people can feel anxious about it but there's there's no need to you've got uh, this endorsed of course through the therapeutic guidelines and other august bodies. Uh, some complementary medicines, St John's wort so really it's when it's being used in a the therapeutic dose for someone with a mood disorder you know you would be thinking about using an alternative or additional precautions and then new drugs you know are obviously coming on the market all the time and do check you know with those uh, whether there is that Uh, interaction with Modafinil, for instance, uh, used for various sleep disorders. And last one is, my patient has breakthrough bleeding on the pill which is causing her anxiety. So this is Maya, she's 28, she's on a 20-microgram pill with levonorgestrel for three years and she's got breakthrough bleeding and spotting, usually towards the end of the pack. And this has been increasing in the past four months, it's a little bit you know, erratic. Uh, and she's really had it for you know, a couple of years actually and sort of always just, just ignored it. So what do we need to do? Well we need some additional history from her. We hear that she's never late with pills, she's got no new medications which could interfere with the pill. She has had a new partner in the past five months. So breakthrough bleeding. What you need to know, of course, is, it is common in the first three months of use. Someone like Maya, it's been, you know, obviously much longer than that. You do need to think of she's got a new partner, do STI tests, consider other causes as well. Uh, with her, she's on a 20 microgram uh, pill. We'd want to increase the ethanol estradiol dose to a maximum of 35, not up to 50. Might want to change the pill type, but then we would definitely review in three months. Obviously we treat an STI if she's got one. Uh, do we do an ultrasound? Obviously she's a young woman, the, th- the chance of you know, serious pathology is much rarer. Obviously if she's over 35 in her 40s, then you're going to have a low threshold for an ultrasound, So, and particularly if someone's over 40. Uh, don't let it go on and on and on. Obviously you've got to work out and you need to get her back to work out what's going on. So let's sum all this up. There's a lot of information. Uh, It's just taking away the key points, but hopefully it's just consolidating information for you too. Um, We have got a range of available pills. This is really great because for people who are choosing a pill, you know, it may, one size doesn't fit all, it may take them a little bit of time to find one that suits them, so the more the better. We've got pills now with three different types of estrogens, so with ethanol estradiol, with estradiol, and now with estrotol, E4. Uh, And this pill contains estrotol with three milligrams of drospyrinone in the 24-4 regime and it's called next Telus, and it's available now always consider quick start it's really important just to you know ensure that you're not sort of saying oh wait 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 till your next period and always provide a 12-month supply even if you know just to make sure people aren't going to run out prematurely it can be a suitable choice for adolescents, uh, you know, it's useful for acne, uh, always think about cost, other factors that feed into it uh, and always, you know, I think if with any people of any age inquire about obviously, you know, mood, uh, any mood disorders and do advise people if they have a change of mood to come back and see you. Uh, it may mean changing to a different pill. Updated guidance for breastfeeding, really important, so just be aware, uh, you know, that in fact from six weeks, regardless of breastfeeding, to six months post-delivery, uh, post it mec MEK2 for the combined pill, um, so some people may still prefer to, you know, have a PO method or a non-hormonal method, but just make sure you've got that up-to-date information to provide to people. Know how to explain the VTE risk? It's generally contraindicated in people with obesity. It's either MEK3 uh, as we saw, um, so you know, or MEK4. Uh, and after bariatric surgery, there can be malabsorption. It's really important to make sure that uh, someone doesn't get pregnant in that 12 months afterwards. Um, so, you know, just look at the appropriate options and. Just remember that continuous use of a combined pill, well, it can be a second-line choice. I mean, people may choose to still have that break, uh, but there's no harm in, in having that continuous use for heavy menstrual bleeding and always exclude serious causes, particularly for people over the age of 40 where there's the increased risk of endometrial cancer. And the pill can be continued for those uh, using a liver enzyme inducing drug, uh, but you do need added precautions. And they they can be quite intense, so many people may decide to choose uh, an unaffected method. What about breakthrough bleeding? Well, always just exclude other causes. If it's beyond, you can expect it, you know, it can happen in the first three months of use, but if it persists, you've got to think about those other causes and you may want to change uh, to another method, uh, another pill, um, but just bear in the back of your mind that, you know, could this be an STI for instance? So thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you are enjoying this series and will recommend it to your friends and colleagues. I'm Linda Calabresi, And on behalf of the team here at HealthEd, I look forward to joining you soon for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this audio segment, you can find out more about our free webcast lectures, which can be accessed from any device on our website at healthed.com.au. The podcasts published on this page are for medical professionals only. The content is not a substitute for medical advice. If you have a health issue, you should seek the advice of a suitable qualified health professional.